0: And we're live with D-Green with Amy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to D-Green with Amy. I'm Amy. After adopting a whole food plant-based lifestyle, my hubby Rick and I lost over 130 pounds. Now, I coach others on their plant-based journey. Just has voice.
1: Let's welcome our guest. Anthony Masiello lost 160 pounds and gained back his life. Please click like to help Be Green with Amy. Welcome, Anthony Massiello. Greetings and welcome, Anthony.
2: Thank you, Amy. Yeah, it's, it's really great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: I'm really glad
0: you're here because you have a great story to tell. There are so many people out there that are looking for inspiration. And if you're looking for inspiration for weight loss, you have come to the right place because Anthony has a wonderful story to share. And I'm sure that we'll all get a little motivated to either adopt this lifestyle or tweak what we're already doing. So I wanted to ask you, were you overweight all of your life?
2: The easy answer is yes. It feels like that. But I look back at pictures and I, I remember actually I gained weight over the summers between the fourth and fifth grade. I'm not sure what happened, but my my mother and brother and I lived in North Carolina and my father lived in New Jersey. So outside of the school year, my brother and I would travel to New Jersey to spend the summers with my dad. Somehow when I came back to North Carolina to start the fifth grade, I had gained weight over the summer. And I didn't really notice it myself, but my friends who I hadn't seen in about three months, they noticed it. And they asked me, hey, how'd you get so big over the summer? And, uh, you know, how'd you gain weight? And that was the start of it. So I I guess I've been overweight since the fifth grade.
0: Yeah, that's a tough thing to go through, especially young person we had other people other men that were on that had talked about the people that had gone through this in childhood did, did you get anybody teasing you how did that work out
2: yeah a little bit because you know this was in the early 80s there weren't a lot of overweight kids in my in my school you know i I want to say that there weren't a lot of you know as many overweight kids in the whole world but but um there were actually two in in my grade and it was easy to kind of become identified as that person, as the big guy or as the fat kid or as you know those things. And it was enough to where it was noticeable where it was a topic. And you know, mostly in a very fun and playful way, like uh, joking and things like that. but but little things like it was it was a little bit harder to look nice in, in clothes at the you know at the time and, and things like that. So all these little things did creep in and it was enough to, make it an issue to the point where that's how I started to identify myself. And I think that was the, really the hardest part. When you start to think of yourself as, you know, as, um, you know, as, you know, whatever we want to say, the, as the fat kid or as the, as the big kid, because psychologically that's tough.
0: Oh, yeah, it is. And then when you would want to maybe participate in things in school, as far as activities go, physical activities, that must have been tough, huh?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And mostly it was the social, for me, mostly it was a social. I mean, I still, the big thing back then where I was living was you went roller skating, you know, we went roller skating on Friday nights and I could roller skate just fine, things like that. But it became more of a, I guess, an issue with self-confidence, maybe not approaching girls at the same, you know, at the same age that some of my friends were, you know, and things like that, just not feeling super confident about myself because of it. That was, that was the, tougher part for me.
0: Yeah, I would imagine. So do you think that when you were younger, did you think that you had any looking back? Did you have any physical ailments happening to you at that time?
2: So I didn't really, you know, I remained pretty active, you know, I was into my, uh, my BMX bicycle. And like I said, we went roller skating on Friday nights, sometimes Friday nights and Saturday nights, you know, in in town, and um, had fun. And physically, I don't feel like it was very limiting. You know, other than the fact that maybe I couldn't wear the trendiest clothes and things like that, because I, I was big. And, you know, in the fifth grade, I wasn't that big, but I continued just gaining weight. Like every year, I feel like I just got a little bit bigger and bigger um, until I was in high school. Then I was, you know, uh, I was I was much larger than than most people, especially because I'm tall and I grew tall at a pretty young age. I'm now six foot four. Um And graduating high school, I was probably 6'2", 6'3", and probably 300 pounds Mm. or something like that. So, you know, I wasn't the most comfortable in small cars um, when everyone kind of jumped in their cars, you know, jumped in cars to go out for lunch or something at at school or carpooling back and forth to different places. I was usually pretty cramped, you know, and and little things like that. But I, I think that's about the most of it. From a uh, physical extent at that time.
0: So, did your family members or your physician or anybody talk to you about that?
2: Yeah, like, I mean, it's like a little a bit patient? tough because I had doctors telling me to, that I should lose some weight, but they themselves probably needed to lose some weight. So, so people would say, um, people in those situations, like the doctor would say, "Hey, you know, you need to lose some weight," but they wouldn't tell me how. And they wouldn't really help me to do it. They just told me that I needed to lose some weight. So it actually didn't help me that much. And then, of course, I found some things on my own. Like I knew, like some things I knew were not good, like cakes and sweets and sodas and stuff. So I would go periods of time where I would try, you know, to cut out fat, right? Like stop eating butter and and, um, and stuff like that. And um, to try to eat a lower fat diet. Or there were other times where I would try to eat, you know, much less sweets. But... um it was never very well planned. And as a result, it didn't ever really work very well because it would, you know, I would lose a few pounds for a short period of time, but then of course it always came back. And then by the time I had given up and gone back to, you know, to eating the way I was before, then it came back. Plus extra weight came with it. You know, so it was like, it was a, it was that same, that cycle that we hear so much about and that so many people experience where you lose a little, then you gain back more than you lost. And you lose a little, then you gain back more. And you just, over time, I just kept getting bigger and bigger.
0: It must have been challenging because as a growing young man, you're growing, right? Yeah. So here you are trying to fight maybe hunger because you're growing and you need the calories Yeah. and not knowing what to do.
2: Yeah. And I'm sure I ate sometimes because I was hungry, but I think there are all different kinds of, all different reasons why why I ate and why, you know, why people eat now, you know, I, I would eat in social situations, I would eat when I got stressed, I would eat when I was happy, I was, you know, I would look for reasons to, to celebrate, you know, for me, um, I, I always loved pizza, And maybe that's because I spent my summers and in, in, uh, time in New Jersey, where the pizza is actually really good. Yes, but, um,
0: I'm from New York, so I yeah. definitely know <laughs> you.
2: Pizza is good, right? So <laughs> so then even when I was in North Carolina during the school year, it was always felt like a special treat, you know. But down there, all we had was like, you know, Domino's or, or Little Caesars or something. But we would just call up and order pizzas. And that was always something that made me feel good. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't know if it made me feel, you know, think a little bit about New Jersey or, or I don't know how or why. But... um you know, it was one of my favorite foods. There's so much
0: emotion tied to food, and that makes it very difficult for a lot of people to try to change what they're eating. Yeah. So as you got older, what happened when you got yeah. older that made this change?
2: So these cycles kind of continued where I would go through periods of, of where I was losing weight, whether it was because I was increasing my activity. You know, I was skateboarding a lot through um, through high school and in, in even uh, while I was in college, and that kept me, you know, that kept me moving quite a bit, and I would be trying to eat better, so I would lose, I would lose some weight then. But then um, I started after college. I started working full time, and then I was working a, a desk job. You know, I was doing software development, and. Um, I wasn't moving a lot and I was stopped skateboarding and I continued eating. And then for the first time in my life, I really had disposable income. So it was even easier to order those pizzas. And uh, and then at the time that was like Papa John's came out and they even gave you extra like butter garlic sauce or something to put on top of your pizza, you know, just in case it wasn't decadent enough with all the <laughs> toppings and things that I would order. When I first started my career, I gained more and more weight. My wife now, Kathy, we moved into Um, with each other. Yeah. And then we, we decided to move back to New Jersey. She's also from New Jersey, the same town where my dad was. When we moved in together, you know, we were each kind of active in different ways. And then when we got together, we both kind of took my inactivity and combined it with her inactivity. And we were both less active than we ever were before, because like I didn't run, so we couldn't run together, which is what she would like to do. And then she didn't skateboard. So we didn't skateboard together. So we both ended up just kind of, you know, we would go for some walks and hikes and stuff like that, but, but it, it wasn't a great time. And, and that's, where, that's where I feel like I really got, I got to my biggest. And then we moved back to New Jersey to be closer to her family and, and, and um, my dad. And that's when we decided to start our own family. And that's when I really realized that I, needed to, I really needed to make a change. When my wife was pregnant with our second son, I applied for a, another uh, term life insurance policy a 20 year term life insurance policy. I was 33 years old. And um, I remember coming home from work and seeing the letter from the insurance company and I opened it up and uh, I was denied. So it was I was 33 years old and I basically had this insurance company tell me that they didn't expect me to live for 20 years so that they weren't gonna offer me an insurance policy. And I had had trouble getting insurance in the past, but they just put me in a higher risk category which just meant I had to pay extra and I could just kind of justify that and, and let that go. But this one being denied while my wife was pregnant with my second son was really scary to me because that meant that this company who had all this data, right? They just plugged my information into their big computer, their big algorithm. And then the, the result that came out was do not insure, Right. And to me, that meant not going to make it 20 years. So the thought of not making it to 53 was really scary. The thought of not seeing my kids, you know, graduate high school or hit 20, you know, become 20 years old. Or who knows how the computer doesn't, you know, the insurance company doesn't give you a prediction. So did they think I was going to only live five years? Did they think I was going to live 15 years? Did they think I was going to live 19 and a half years? You know, I don't know. They just, I just know that they didn't expect me to make it the 20 years. Now were you on medications
0: at that time?
2: Yeah. So the reason why at that time I weighed 360 pounds, I had a 54 inch waist, I was on medication for high blood pressure. I had been trying to resist my doctor recommending medication for high cholesterol. I would get migraine headaches, the kinds that would, you know, would make me have to almost come home from work. Uh, I mean, on some days I would just have to come home from work and lay in a dark room to try to get rid of my headaches because nothing else would get rid of them. Um, I was recently diagnosed with sleep apnea. And then I had eczema on my fingers and I had psoriasis behind my neck. So I had all of these little things that any one of them, you know, I could have a conversation with anyone, you know, and any person even that looked healthy and, you know, maybe they had wrong medication for high cholesterol or maybe they had high blood pressure. You know, or maybe I would talk to someone else and maybe they were overweight. But I think these combination of all of these things is what gave me this, um, you know, is what kind of set me up to to... The point where where I got really scared, I knew I had to do something about it.
0: It's amazing what inspires people to make changes in their lives. Somebody could be a smoker for for decades, and then all of a sudden, something happens with a family member, and they can't be around them because of the smoke. And then all of a sudden, they just don't smoke anymore. Yeah. But meanwhile, they maybe There's they like try to switch quit.
2: off or something. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and and yeah. maybe they tried to quit so many times, and it just they kept going back, it's just so, so the, hard to say what, what's going to be, what is it going to be right. for us?
2: So for me, I knew I had to do something, but I had no idea what to do because everything I had tried to do before had, I had failed. I mean, everything I had tried to do before is what led me to, to this point in my life. And, um, but the best thing that being denied that insurance policy did for me was it forced me to take a really honest and objective look at what my life was like. You know, what was it really like? And that's That's where I started looking at the real life situations. And they didn't look great to me either. You know, things like when I was at work and I would go to a meeting in a conference room. And if they only had chairs with arms on them at the desks, like armchairs, I looked for, you know, what they would call an overflow chair. Like maybe there was a folding chair in the corner, or maybe there was something uh, not, you know, a, a stacked chair somewhere that didn't have arms on it, that I could sneak up to the table and sit in before everyone else got into the room, because I didn't fit in armchairs. I mean, I could squeeze myself into them, but it was very uncomfortable. And sometimes I would have to do that, just kind of hover over the chair and just squeeze myself into it and then sit there uncomfortable for the meeting, whether it was an hour or however long. So I wasn't very satisfied with that. And then I would travel for work and I would travel by myself and I would be walking down the aisle of the airplane and I would be looking for my seat and, you know, kind of felt the, you know, the, all the eyes on me as I was walking down. You know, anyone with an empty seat next to them, it felt a little bit like they were, they were looking at me and thinking, oh, I wonder if he's going to sit next to me. And then when I would walk past them, I would sense a little sigh of relief, you know, until I finally got to the, the, um, the spot where I was supposed to sit. And then again, I had to just kind of squeeze myself in there. And then even once I got into my seat, then the flight attendant would do the demonstration with the, with that little, you know, that little section of seatbelt. And I used to, after that demonstration, I used to have to call over the flight attendant to ask if I could use that to extend my seatbelt, because I couldn't even buckle up on the plane. And, you know, they always come by and check because they actually can't take off until everyone's buckled into their seat. So that's embarrassing when you're sitting next to someone you don't know and you have to ask for the seatbelt extender. You know, it, it just all of these little things didn't make me feel good. But the biggest one for me was, uh, you know, had to do with my children. I always wanted to be a dad. I was so excited to have children when, when my wife, Kathy, and I uh, were starting our family. And when um, my older son, Evan, was 18 months old and, oh, there he is. And my <laughs> wife was... Thank you. I wish he still had that shirt. <laughs> I don't get to dress him anymore. Aww. He's 17 now. He's almost 18. Oh my um, goodness. But um, when, when he was about that age, maybe just a tiny bit older, uh, the, the fair came to town, the carnival. And, and uh, you know, it was a small thing. And it, they just set it up in the church parking lot. And it was a fundraiser, you know, for the school that was attached to the, to the church there. But my wife was pregnant with Henry, our second son. And we were there with Evan and this, you know, at 18 months, 18 to 20 months, you know, I mean, kids are just now kind of becoming themselves and they can laugh and they can look at things. And it's a really fun age. So we were having a blast. This is the first time in his whole life he's ever experienced anything like this. You know, the flashing lights, the sound, the bells, you know, people are playing games and they're winning and the prize, you know, the prize sirens are going off and stuff. And uh, everything is just overstimulating. And he was just kind of taking it all in. It was like the coolest thing. And then we walked around like the food vendors and then um, he just started wiggling and pointing and he was probably saying something, but I don't remember exactly, but uh, he was pointing at this uh, train ride. And I think in my mind, I think it was a Thomas, the train ride, but it probably wasn't even Thomas, but you know, he used to watch the Thomas, the train on, on TV sometimes. And he had all the little toy, these wooden toy tracks that were going all over the house with these little battery powered train rides that, that he would go on. So I realized he had never seen a train that he could fit on. You know, he never saw a train that he could ride. He only thought they were like, you know, toys. So he was excited to go on this train ride. So, and we were excited as parents. So we we're like, wow, this is cool. He wants to go on the train. So we were walking over and I'm holding him here, you know, on my chest uh, with, with my arm. And when we get close to the train ride, I just kind of take my thumbs and I hook them under his, arm, his armpits and I go to pull him to hand them to my wife. And he grabbed my shirt and he just like, he wouldn't let go right? So in my mind, I thought he wanted me to take him on the train ride. But here I am, I don't even fit on an airplane. I can't even Mm -hmm. sit in a seat in the conference room at work. Like there's no way I'm going to fit on this little um, train. You know, I mean, it was a miniature ride. It was for kids his size. So luckily I was bigger than him. So I just pulled him harder and and he let go of my shirt and I handed him to my wife. And then Um, You know, they gave the tickets to the attendant and I was just kind of sitting there, you know, in in excitement and just watching. And then um, almost like in a daze as they were getting on the train and then the attendant of the ride, he said, excuse me, sir. And he kind of snapped me out of it. He said, you have to wait over here because I guess I was blocking the gate. Right. (laughs) Because so no one else could come in. But then I had to go stand on the side and I stood there literally outside of this temporary metal gate. And I was watching as my wife, Kathy, and my son, Evan, were, were riding around in this train. And, you know, he was just having a blast and laughing and they were giggling together and, and they were having all this fun. And there were two questions that were coming to, into mind. And the first question was, is this the kind of father I'm going to be? And I didn't like the answer to that one. You know, that's not the kind of father I wanted to be. I didn't want to be sitting on the outside And watching as my son was having fun and then the second question that came to mind is is this the kind of husband i'm going to be you know is this really what my wife signed up for is she going to have to do all of these things uh with the kids i mean this is a fun one but there are going to be plenty of hard things that we're going to have to do as parents that you know many of them i might not be able to do simply because of my size or my state of health or my ability to 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 you know to move, and to participate in things, and and that that was harder on me even I think than being denied that insurance policy. Like, realizing- it
0: almost kind of gave you a visual of this is your life if you don't do something. Yeah. That if you were watching from the other world or whatever, this is what you would be seeing because you you wouldn't be there to see it.
2: Right. That's it was almost like a glimpse of that Christmas story where. I yeah.
0: It's a wonderful where, life. Yeah. yeah.
2: Where you look at the future and the past and all the, these things and you realize, you know, where where things could go.
0: Yeah. And
2: um, and it was sad and it was and it was scary. So reading that insurance policy, taking a look at, at what my life was really like, like it all just made me realize I had to do something. It was getting close to the end of the year. This was all in 2005. I set a New Year's resolution and my New Year's resolution had three parts. Number 1, no more sweets. I was not I was not going to eat any because I knew that that was not something that was good for me. You know, no cookies, no cakes, no candy, no sweets.
0: Right. And it's, then people think, well, you know, if you want to lose weight, that's probably why what exactly, you cut out, right? Yeah. That makes sense, sugar. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, and then I said no more soda. And I didn't drink a lot of soda. I mean, truthfully, I didn't eat a lot of sweets. So these things weren't actually too hard for me to do. And I the third part of my new year's resolution was I set a goal to lose 50 pounds over the year. I wanted to lose 50 pounds over the year of 2006. And I came to 50 pounds because I figured I could probably lose five pounds a month, you know, being as big as I went, over 360 pounds. And, but I wanted to give myself a little wiggle room. So rather than saying 60, you know, five pounds a month for 12 months, I said, okay, I'll lose 50 pounds. So I kind of almost gave myself two months as like a a freebie. in case, in case it wasn't working or while I was figuring it out. And all I knew was I wasn't going to have soda. I wasn't going to have sweets. And all I knew how to do was kind of keep myself hungry. Um, so I started doing that and January and February went by. And by March, I had not lost a single pound. I didn't lose wow. any weight and it wasn't working. Yeah. And that was totally, totally uh, depressing it was defeating for me. It made me feel helpless, and um, like there, it made me feel like there was nothing I could do. That this is just how I was destined to be. And, um, but, I was still determined. You know, I still had. I was still so highly motivated, and I and I knew I had to figure this out. And I sure I had lost my two months. <laughs> right? My two freebie months, Yeah, but I needed to keep going. So I'll also add, I think I forgot to mention this before. Uh, one of the things that I did to, to lose weight earlier in the nineties was I went vegetarian. So I was already at, even at this point, I was already a 360 pound vegetarian with on high blood pressure medication, who had high cholesterol, who had sleep apnea, who had all these problems. I was already vegetarian, but I was really scared because all of the diet plans that I was aware of in 2005 were these uh, like Adkins plans or these, mm-hmm. or these, now it would be called, I guess, like a keto plan, yeah. which was pretty much the opposite of the things I was eating, right? It was, huh. it was, it was like more meat, and that kind of stuff, and I didn't want to go back to eating meat because I felt so much better when I became vegetarian. And then I kind of became proud of the lifestyle, of vegetarian, you know, of being a vegetarian. I started searching Google for vegetarian weight loss, you know, how can I lose weight as a vegetarian? And and um, I found on Amazon Dr. Furman's book Eat to Live, and this was the first edition of Eat to Live, and I say that because the cover is different now, but on the cover of the book on Amazon, it said fast and sustained weight loss. Oh wow! And I was like, "Oh, well, <laughs> there we go. That's what I want.
0: That's I want the answer, right
2: there." But then the real thing that got me was I started reading the reviews that people would write, and no one in the reviews was talking about weight loss. Everyone in the in the reviews was talking about getting healthy, and some people mentioned that as they got healthy and as they recovered from these conditions, that they also happened to lose weight. And that's when I realized for the first time in my life that I didn't want to lose weight. What I really wanted to do is I wanted to get healthy. And what I understood as I started reading this book is that if I get healthy, that I will lose weight because they're, because they're tied together. So, so, so I bought the book, needless to say, and I just started doing exactly what it said. You know, even (laughs) when I was, when I was reading chapter one and chapter two and chapter three, like, so I got better as I went, as I learned more, as I read the book. But I started i started before I finished the book. I just started eating more. I just concentrated on eating more.
0: Okay, well, more I, wanted,
1: I have a true or false question okay, for perfect. you guys. It's time for True or False on Be Green with Amy Live. Answer true or false to Amy's questions in the comments below. And Amy will ask our guest for the expert answer. True or
0: false, in order to lose weight, you must weigh or measure your food. So you guys type in true or false, and then we'll let Anthony continue on with his story and we'll hear the answer too.
2: How long do they get to guess? Oh
0: no, they, they're just going to type in and you'll talk. Nobody gets graded You're on this, win. so oh, it's there's okay. There's no
2: prizes? We don't have any prizes for them today? I wish I would have brought something.
0: For sponsors.
2: <laughs> That's fantastic. So I concentrated on eating more fruits and vegetables. And This was different for me than I had ever done before. The reason it was different is because um, I didn't start depriving myself. I didn't start taking away my favorite foods to begin with. I just knew that, you know, that in that book, in Dr. Furman's book, it said to eat, you know, a pound of raw vegetables every day and eat a pound of cooked vegetables every day and eat a cup of beans every day. So I just started concentrating on that. Like, for example, I never used to have breakfast. Um, I would just have coffee, probably with cream and sugar in it. So I said, okay, now for breakfast, I'm going to have fruit. Because that was a chance to eat more fruit, right? When I would grab lunch, before I would have whatever else I was going to, would normally have had for lunch, like, let's, we'll stick with the pizza theme. If I was going to have two slices of pizza, before I would eat the pizza, I would get a huge salad. So what I did was I just started adding fruits and vegetables to what I'm eating. And I just started letting that naturally kind of push away the other foods. And, um, and it started working. By the time Henry was born, which he was born in May, so March, April, May, three months later, I had already lost 40 pounds. Just as depressed as I felt from not losing weight those first two months, I felt that times 10 energized to continue to get better, with this, uh, this diet plan and lifestyle
0: you had that goal, right? Let's repeat. What was your original goal? 50 was pounds for the year for in a year. And yeah. now you just lost 40 pounds in.
2: Yeah. I think it was like 38 or 36 and it was yeah. probably about three months,
0: a quarter of the way in and you yeah. almost met half yeah. of what you Well, I, Well, I missed right? the
2: first two months were a wash. So it was probably yeah. that by that time we were five months into the year.
0: Yeah. So we were well, almost. I, I meant that if, if it was, if you were giving yourself 12 months, because I considered right. that a reset.
2: <laughs> well, I didn't give myself a reset, though. You didn't I, said, give your- I said by December 31st, I was going to be down okay. 50 pounds. So, so I was saying, you know, that that year before yeah. it hit 2007, I was going to be down 50 pounds. But so, so, but so by halfway up. through the yeah. years, I was close. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Should we answer the question?
0: Yeah, go ahead. So,
2: so, I think the answer is no, you don't have to weigh and measure your food. I didn't do that. The idea is to consume only healthful foods and to eat enough of them and to let your body take care of the rest. And I don't mean that with things like super high calorie things, like even on a healthy whole food plant based diet. I wouldn't, I don't think that's true for nuts and for um, definitely not for any of these uh, vegan products. That doesn't hold true for, but for, for real fruits, vegetables, whether they're raw or whether they're lightly cooked and for beans, I don't think it's true at all. I don't think that we need to pay attention to the quantity. We can re- literally, those foods, it's like the more that we eat, the healthier we become.
0: That's so fabulous. And that's one of the reasons why I love this lifestyle, because I feel like restricting food is like holding your breath. It's not something I could ever yeah. do. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, So now the story will speed up a little bit. I lost a lot of weight that initial time, you know, before we brought Henry home, uh, before Henry was born and came home from the hospital. And then I just continued and I continued to get better at eating a whole food plant based diet. And I continued losing weight. And by the end of the year, I ended up losing a total of 90 pounds in that year. And so I completely blew away my goal of losing 50 pounds for the year.
0: How often would you say, do you think that you weighed yourself?
2: Th- this is going to be a complicated one, but I'm going to say at this time, I was weighing myself twice a day. Okay. And I would weigh myself in the morning um, when I woke up. And then I weighed myself at night before I went to bed. And, okay. and that was helpful for me because I learned how my body operated. Like mm. I could go to bed and I could wake up five pounds lighter. And that was fascinating to me. You know, by the time you know, I guess overnight sleeping, resting, and then wake up in the morning, go to the bathroom get on the scale. So what that taught me was that the little fluctuations didn't matter in mm-hmm. the scale. So if the scale is up three pounds one day, it didn't matter. If it was down two pounds the next day, like that didn't matter either. It's not like every time the scale dropped a pound or two pounds, I got to celebrate, right? And it's mm-hmm. not like every time it went up, I got to get upset. I was just observing the scale and I was learning you know, how my body worked. But sure enough, by the end of every month, I was averaging out after that initial big weight loss, I ended up losing almost exactly eight pounds every single month. And sometimes it would all come off in the last week or week and a half. And sometimes it would come off kind of even like it it just depended on what my life was like at that time. But I continued. um, But I continued through the end of the year, then by the end of 2006, I had all this energy now. I was 90 pounds lighter, I and mean, that's a lot of weight. And um, and my body was healthier. By that time, I was off all my medications. No more blood pressure medications. My cholesterol was down to normal. My blood pressure was 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 fantastic without the medication. I was probably sleeping better, and I had so much energy that I wanted to start exercising. So okay. Well, also... wait, wait.
0: You said I wanted to start. Yes. Exercising. So, so far, you had how much weight loss?
2: 90 pounds. And zero exercise. You
0: were not exercising. Yeah. That, I mean, I that still was had my a husband's time. experience too. I, yeah. I was working out all the time while we were trying to lose weight, and he had two shoulder surgeries back to back. So, a year where he couldn't exercise even if he wanted to, and he was losing more pounds than me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, well, I think the exercise is fantastic for yeah. health. Yes, I think it it's is. it's great for, for our mental health. I think it probably does help a little bit with, uh, with losing weight, but it's not the key. I mean, the key mm-hmm. is you have to eat right. Yeah. And, um, and, you have to, um, and you have to get healthy. And that's where the, the weight loss comes from. And you do have to rest well also. Yes. I think that's another, that's another important part. But that's a good point. And I do like to emphasize I lost that first 90 pounds. You know, I had a full-time job where I was working long days. I had a long commute. We had a toddler and a newborn at home. Like there wasn't a lot of spare time to, to be going around, do, you know, starting new exercise routines. But now I was so I was so energized and motivated. I wanted to start running, and mm-hmm. the reason I picked running is because I always watched and I always helped my wife when she would run races or she would run a marathon, and I would hold her stuff. And I would always see people, and in a little bit in my mind, it's again like I'm on the sidelines. Like mm-hmm. I was there supporting her just like that train ride, I was outside watching other people do the activity. And I I thought I wanted it to be my turn. So we had a treadmill in the basement. And uh, my wife used it regularly. But when we got it, I insisted that we get one that was big enough to handle me, you know, even at my 360 pounds. So we had a good treadmill in the basement that I could use. So I started going on it for a half hour every night. I tried to run and I couldn't even run for a whole minute. you know, I would run for like 30 seconds or so, and then I would just slow it down and I would keep walking. And then when I recovered my breath and then I would start running again, then I would slow it down and I would keep walking. And I just continued to do that until I got to the point where I could run for like, you know um, one lap around the virtual track, you know, which maybe it took me three or four minutes. I don't know how how long it took. and then and then I could run two of them, you know, without taking a break. and then I would take a break and I would recover. and then, Then I would get to the point where I could run a mile and then I could take a little break and then I could run another mile. And then and then to the point where, you know, I could run, I could run, you know, two miles in a row and then three miles in a row. And as soon as I could run three miles on the treadmill, I joined the running club at work. And the running club was just they just went and ran some five K's after work, uh, you know, a few times a year, maybe five or six. I think it was March of 2007. I went out and I ran my first five K. And that was exciting because now I was the one putting the bib, you know, the, the number on my, on my shirt. And I was the one kind of stashing my clothes and my water bottle somewhere so I could go get to the start of the race. And then when the, you know, when they said go, I was the one who was out there running, you know, and then I was coming in across the finish line and, and, uh, it was really exciting to be p- participating in that. And that's when I knew that I was hooked That my life had really changed.
0: Wow. You know, I was even convinced. at that day you got on the scale and maybe gained a few pounds.
2: Yeah, I don't remember. Right? but I, I but
0: Even if you did, it yeah. wouldn't have mattered, right?
2: Right. Because it started to really affect my quality of life. You know, here's the guy who couldn't sit in an armchair. Here's the guy who was embarrassed to walk onto an airplane. You know, here's the guy who couldn't go on the ride with his, with his kids. And now I was out there, you know, running, running a 5K. And, and it, was, it was almost totally different. I just continued um, for 2007. I continued... Um, you know, eating better, more and more, more and more towards a a super healthy, super nutritious, whole food plant-based diet. And I continued to run a little bit further and further and further all the time. And then September of 2007, two things happened. My weight loss stopped, and it stopped just as suddenly as it began. Meaning um, the end of September, I weighed 197 pounds. By the end of October, I weighed 197 pounds by the end of November, I weighed 197 pounds, like it literally just came down. And then it just went flat. So in September, I ran my first half marathon. So I went from, from where I couldn't even run for a full minute, you know, in January of that year, to now in September, I ran 13.1 miles. And I ran it in about an hour and 48 minutes, which is, which is a pretty good pace to run a half marathon. And I did that with about I don't know what it was, 10 or, or 12 or 15,000 people in Philadelphia. And it was, it was an incredible experience. And I was there all by myself. I woke up early in the morning. I drove to Philadelphia. I found a parking garage. I went to the starting line. I had no idea what I was doing. It was really incredible. So, so, um,
0: so But here you had this plateau, right? And it was yeah. a pretty long plateau. So, I mean, what was going through your mind at that time?
2: Well, well I, what was going through my mind was I was done. I mean, I'm six foot four, uh-huh.
0: right.
2: and 197 pounds is a right. you know was a pretty healthy weight for someone. Oh, it, it definitely is. Tall.
0: But but I mean, were you thinking? You know, I mean, what were you thinking? That I'm good. I'm you know I, yeah, I think exactly. I can just maintain. I was like, this and... is
2: fantastic. Right. Yeah. I right. didn't think about it. You know, I just kept I kept up. And at that time, once I started running, I actually was going on the scale three times a day. Ah. Because I would go in the morning. Yeah. And then I would after I would weigh myself in the morning. Then I would go work out. And then I would weigh myself after that, because that was the fun one, because that was even lower. Because <laughs>
0: of all the water. Exactly,
2: <laughs> then I would drink, and then I would eat throughout the day, and then at night it was higher, but, but I just kept watching it. You know, I was never obsessed with the scale. The scale never contributed to my emotional feeling, whether it was positive or negative. It's just that it was a number that, that was easy for me to, to measure, and I could measure it anywhere I was. And, uh, and it was just interesting for me to watch. But, so now, yeah. now
0: you have two young children, and yeah. two young boys. So how's that going?
2: At the time I finished, I guess the boys were just you know like one and a half and and three years old, um, something like that. And uh, and and that's and we, I mean now they're now they're big. Now they're seventeen and fifteen years old because this okay. was a long time ago, and I raised them exactly the way I would have ever chose to raise them. You know when when. I came home from work and they were on the driveway practicing for jump rope for, for heart. You know, I grabbed a jump rope and I jumped with them, mm. you know, and when they were little and we had, we had a double jogging stroller and I used to take them in and run races and people used to comment, you can't pass me with a stroller. And, <laughs> and they would say, we just did, you know, like they would just mouth off to the people in, in the stroller as we were going. And then they would always tease me at the end. They're like, we beat you dad because they were in front of me. I was Yeah. Them, you know? So, so, you know, we did all of those things. And then when they got bigger, we started running together. And, mm-hmm. and now they're both fantastic runners and I can never keep up with them now. But, um, but, uh, but we, we ran together a lot of miles. Um, my, my older son, Evan, wanted to do a trail race in Colorado and we had to practice all through the winter. And it was a 16 mile race. So we had to do a lot of long runs together. And we got to talk, you know, a, a lot and really enjoyed that time spent together. And we bicycle together and we, you know, we snowboard in the winter together. We do, you know, we had an incredibly active family life, you know, their whole growing up, which I wouldn't have chosen it any way. So, you know, I don't -hmm. know. In my mind, it all worked out fantastic.
0: I think so. And I I guess what I was getting to was. Now that you, they were still young. They weren't little babies that they they were actually walking around. How they needed to be? Yeah, you needed to pick them up and maybe get on the floor. Those things, as far all, as having able things. to, yeah, they were that. on my shoulders
2: all the time. They would fall asleep on my shoulders when we would go. You know, when we'd be out and about, we would wrestle at night before they went to bed and, and roll around. I didn't have to worry about crushing them. <laughs> uh, I probably still could have crushed them, but you know what I mean. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it, and we we just had we just had so much fun,
0: right? So that you could you could be that dad that could you know chase after yeah. your little guy. And I think and you not not had the picture too,
2: and I yes, ended they up do. I ended up taking them on the train ride, um, and I took them both on the train ride a couple of years later. And and you can't tell from that picture, but I still don't really fit on the train. But now it's because my legs are so long, right? <laughs> right. Not not necessarily because I didn't fit the in there <laughs> but, exactly. But but I got in there and I had a big smile on my face. And that shirt, I think, is the shirt from my first 5K race, too. And, um, you know, so so everything kind of came together. And that's my older son, Evan, who's in the seat behind us. And that's my younger son, Henry, who my wife was was pregnant with the first time that Evan went on that train. And that was probably, um, you know, he was probably the same age that Evan was the first time he went on there. But yeah. I got to ride on the train with them.
0: You just changed the trajectory of everything. You changed the outcome and the story. Yeah. And it really exactly. wasn't. I mean, it seems like a long time, I guess, when you're going through it, but in the big scheme of things, it didn't. didn't
2: Yeah, I mean, the the interesting thing there is that the two years would have passed anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, whether, whether whether I was improving myself or not, or whether I was, you know, kind of working on this personal goal that I had for myself or not. So the time I don't think is even that relevant. And truthfully, if it would have taken me three years, or if it would have taken me four years, you know, who would care, who I wouldn't have cared. It's now, you know, now it's like 16 years later, right? 17 years later since I started. I don't even feel like that person anymore. And I don't think it would have mattered if it took twice as long.
0: It's just so inspiring. I think that the people that are watching are, are definitely getting inspiring. I mean, not okay, everybody yeah. has to be a marathon runner or, or a runner. if they do this? You can just, like you said, just have your quality of life change where you can chase around your kids, your grandkids, or go and. I mean, and I, the catch biggest thing.
2: The biggest thing for me is that getting healthy, and I'll Mm -hmm. say it that way, getting healthy, it really enabled me to do whatever I want. You know, I learned that if I could do that, if I could get, if I could go from being very unhealthy to be going healthy, or if I could lose a significant amount of weight, if I could do all these things, now I had the confidence to know that I could do anything. And, you know, for me, I was excited to, to run a lot. And it doesn't mean I have to, I don't you know, I I don't run that much anymore. I still enjoy I love going out for a run, but I don't get a chance to do that very often anymore. But I like to go for a bike ride. Sometimes I like to just hang out, you know, with, with my family, or we go out and we get healthy dinners and things like that. Um, I get to talk to incredible people like yourself, and, and and others now. and And it's all just as fun. But it is, it's for me, it's just about living the quality of life that each of us really want.
0: Right. And that's a different definition for everyone, exactly. whatever that happens to be. To see that you could be that active, it's just, it's amazing. It really yeah. is. And, and I always tell people, because of my weight loss with my husband, we started in 2012. We're older now, right? You're older right. now. So yeah. how many years has it been?
2: So it's been 17 years for me now. I guess I'm, you know, I'll be fifty this year, so I'm forty nine now, and I started this when I was thirty three.
0: As far as how you feel compared to how you felt then, yeah, yeah, right? even
2: how I felt when I was in my thirties, yeah, I feel better now. I know you yeah. like that picture because I have a banana in my hand.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, I, like- I, I had
2: a lot of fun skateboarding that ramp for a while. That that it was a long story, but town shut down the skateboard park, and I was able to buy that ramp and put it in our yard. Um, oh. so we, so we had it there for 10 years and then we've since moved, so I don't have it anymore, but, um, that was a lot of fun.
0: So you had to t- deconstruct it and then.
2: Yeah, it was a, that's yeah. a whole nother hour long conversation <laughs> to explain how that happened.
0: <laughs> right. And there you are in an airplane, right?
2: Yeah. Fitting in the seat, no seatbelt extender at all. And uh-huh. no one was next to me anyway on that flight.
0: Uh huh. That's fabulous. That really is so inspirational. Well, thank you. Has it been challenging for you to maintain the weight loss? So you you hit the weight loss that you wanted, and it's been how many years now since you... Right.
2: Well, it's been over 15 years since my weight loss stopped.
0: Right. And so over
2: 17 years now since I started.
0: What do you think as far as, because so I think that there's, there's a lot of people that My have weight calories.
2: fluctuates a little bit, but it mm-hmm. fluctuates more with my activity. Like my eating honestly hasn't changed since I stopped losing the weight. I have big salads every day. If I don't know what to eat, I just literally, I put a can of no salt beans on the stove and I dump it over, you know, a, a huge handful or two of romaine lettuce and I just put beans on top of greens, or I take some frozen spinach out of the freezer and I microwave it and I'll, I'll put black beans on top of it. I can eat very simply and my eating hasn't changed. And my weight might fluctuate a little bit, like maybe five to 10 pounds. And sometimes that just depends on on my activity levels. If anything is associated with, with that. And and for me, really, that's probably more of a distraction than anything else, you know, when in the summer months, when I'm out going mountain biking after work, you know, I just can't wait to finish something so I can go outside for a little while. And in the winter when I'm a little more stagnant, you know, it's like, well, well, you know, I might as well have dinner now because, because I'm, you know, taking a break or something like that. But the behavior and the foods I eat, they haven't changed. And, um, and really my weight loss, I don't think it's significantly changed, you know, since all the way back then, which is the most unusual thing in the world for me. Now I have to throw away clothes because they, they get worn out, not because I outgrow them. And then that's just, that's just crazy to me. I'd never had that.
0: Well, we have a question. Jen said, I go to friend's house and they offer non-compliant food. What can I say? I mean, you must've run across this, right?
2: Yeah. I mean a lot. And, and it's very uncomfortable to deal with the first couple of times, but we have to just honor ourselves. And like, what can you really say? It's just no, thank you. You know? Um, and it depends on the situation. If you're going to someone's house for dinner, maybe you don't say no, thank you. But but then you might have to have a, a conversation up front, you know, to say, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm eating a specific way. Can I bring this and share it with everyone? I always would bring enough. I would never just bring my own food and go sit down. I would always bring a dish that we put out and that everyone could enjoy it. And if they choose not to, that's fine. But at least I'm eating the same food that everyone else has access to, not just my own, my own plate of food. Um, I remember visiting my grandmother shortly after I finished losing weight, and she lived in Queens, New York. And we would go see her a few times a year. And um, right when we walked in the house, you know, she had a tray of cookies, and, and mm. it's not enough just to have the tray of cookies out; like she had to bring it around to everybody and like put it in your face and say, "That's Here, how Grandma shows her love." And I said no, and my father was teasing me, and he says, "Ma, ask Anthony when the last time he had a cookie was." And at the time, I probably hadn't had a cookie in two years, right? And I said, I haven't had a cookie since 2005, which is still true today, right? So, um, but she started crying. You know, she got very upset by that because she said, you know, basically like what you just described, you know, she was doing this as a form of, of, uh, you know, sharing love or spreading love and stuff. And to think that I was, you know, denying myself of, of cookies is something that, you know, clearly meant something to her, it really, did truthfully, didn't mean anything to me, you know, having a cookie or not, but she got upset. And of course, I could have had a cookie. And it probably wouldn't have made a difference. But uh, it wouldn't have made a difference physically, you know, to have one cookie. But psychologically, it might have told my brain that, hey, it's okay to have sweets once in a while. Or it's okay to have cookies when you feel like it. Or it's okay to let other people tell you what what you need to eat sometimes. And I'm really happy that I dealt with those situations as they came up, because then the next time she didn't even blink when I said no, thank you, and then the next time she didn't even offer it to me. You have to just kind of think that, keep the big picture in mind, and uh, and deal with those situations in a way where you're you're really honoring yourself first. Very. I, good. Hope, I hope that answers the question.
0: I think that was great. It is it is difficult in the beginning, and then if you have family members that are making Especially you feel bad, people you care about.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: definitely have to honor yourself. We don't like to call it a diet. It is a lifestyle. And, right. and part of the lifestyle is not just that certain foods are not going to be in your lifestyle. It's also how you socialize and react to people and, and so forth. Exactly. Steve says no oil, right? And let's talk about that because there's something called SOS free. Yes. And that's sugar, oil, and salt free. So where are you on as far as that goes? Because I know what Dr. Furman does.
2: Right. Well, I am sugar oil and salt free definitely in the house now sometimes if i'm out at a at a restaurant even a fast food place like when we travel when we're driving across the country one of our favorite places to stop is uh, is chipotle and we stop there because i can get a, a salad right or a burrito bowl salad it's called but basically they th- they take the container and they they fill it with the chopped romaine lettuce then they put beans on top of it i skip the rice i get the beans on top of it and then I look at the peppers and onions that they have and sometimes they're like floating in oil and then, mm-hmm. and then I just skip them. I go right to the, you know, the, the pico de gallo, the, the you know, the different salsas and the other vegetables, the corn salsa they put on there. Um, and sometimes I look at them and if they look kind of dry, then I'll, then I'll take the peppers and onions also. So now I know that there is some trace amounts of oil. Someone's even told me that Chipotle makes their their beans have a little bit of oil in it, yeah. but. But when those things happen, I don't I don't consider it a, a conscious decision. I don't eat salad dressings out because I know that they're made up, you know primarily of oil. So a little bit of oil probably sneaks into my diets in, in situations like that. but we don't have oil in the house. We don't use oil in the house. I don't eat anything that looks like it has oil on it. but if some if there's some oil hidden in something, I probably consider it, an insignificant amount of oil. And like, I still will eat the black beans at some place like Chipotle, even if rumor has it that they're that they're made with a little bit of oil.
0: What happened when you got this book, right? Yeah. What did your wife say?
2: She was very supportive of me. And she didn't switch her diet right away. And, you know, we, I just did my thing. So I would make some of his big soups. And I would eat a lot of frozen vegetables, like, I, because I could very easily If I had made a big batch of soup or two over the weekend, um, my favorite one was the roasted broccoli and red pepper soup that he had in there, and um, and uh, or a black bean. I had like a black bean chili recipe with mushrooms and kale in it and stuff like that. So I would literally I would be totally satisfied just to take some frozen spinach, put it on a plate, stick in the microwave for two or three minutes and then heat up some soup or some chili and put it right on top of that spinach and just have that for my dinner so i didn't try to get fancy we weren't trying to make meals to feed a whole entire family i was just eating food that i needed to eat for myself and that's how it started and then eventually we got a little more into some recipes and then eventually my wife realized oh the food i'm not i'm eating is actually not that bad you know and (laughs) and then So so then she started coming along and then she got a little more creative in the kitchen and we we both would cook together sometimes. And then we got the kids on board, Um, you know, when they were very young. They were probably two and four years old. And then and then we were feeding them the same way. So then we got a little more into creative and then we got like some of Rip Esselstyn's recipes. Um, They really liked his um, lentil sloppy joe for a long time. And then I think we kind of burned them out on it because they don't want it anymore. (laughs) But, (laughs) but, you know, we would go through and try different recipes and things like that.
0: So you didn't say to your wife, hey, I'm doing this and I need you to be on board and we're going to clean out the whole kitchen. And nope, right.
2: I just made my decisions for me. You know, I just Mm -hmm. I just again, I just took care of what I needed to do. And it was easy for them because I was the only one who was overweight or it was easy for my wife because she wasn't. So she could just say, Oh, well, this is something Anthony needs to do for himself. And that, and that's all. And, um, you know, if I needed her, you know, if she happened to be the one grocery shopping, she would get the stuff I needed. Or if she, you know, she would occasionally cook stuff from that book or from other recipe sites. And we would eat that together.
0: Yeah, that's it's so interesting, because people just sometimes they don't know how to navigate that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I remember we would go to the diner because we're in New Jersey, right? Yeah. And She would order the Yankee pot roast dinner and I would order a Greek salad with no dressing and no cheese Mm
1: -hmm. right? and no
2: anchovies. And and they would come and they would put the salad down in front of her and then they would put the Yankee pot roast down (laughs) in front of me. And then we would have to switch plates, you know, and then I would eat this this dry salad and then I would get like a fruit cup for dessert, which was like Uh a tiny bit of like chopped up melon or cantaloupe or something like that. Um, and, and yeah, just did my thing. That was it.
0: Yeah. I remember when I was in New York, there was a diner that my parents liked a lot and they had on the table with the salt and pepper shakers and everything, they would have these little covered dishes that you could have. And they had chickpeas. Oh, wow. You know, I ordered a salad and I said, is there any way I can get a, a, bunch, a bunch of, of these, these to put on top of it?
1: <laughs> I can put
0: so yeah, no you do. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be definitely creative. Yeah. So Greg wants to know how can I make the food taste good if I eliminate sugar, oil, and salt?
2: Yeah, it's just a learning exercise, and two things are going to happen. Number one, you're going to find that there are a million recipes for delicious tasting food that don't contain oil, sugar, and salt. You just have to you just have to look for them, and it's so easy now with Google. You know, you just go on there and search for for SOS free rec- You know. Recipes, or search for nutritarian recipes, or search for whole food, plant based, you know, no oil recipes, and you'll you'll find them literally everywhere. The other thing that's going to happen is your taste buds are going to change. And as soon as you start eating less salt, then you're not going to be craving salt. You're not going to be looking for salt. It's like you're kind of salt. Like right now, for something to taste salty, it might have to be over this much like mm-hmm. salt. I don't know what this number is, right? Yeah. But when you stop eating salt, then even something that has a tiny bit of salt has a lot of flavor in it. And, um, and it starts to wake up. And it's the same thing with sugar. You know, to taste something sweet on a standard American diet it might have to be like a candy bar, or like an ice cream that's all loaded up with sugar and stuff like that. After you haven't eaten anything super, super sweet for a while now, like right now, oranges, citrus fruit right now is crazy sweet, right? Especially it's, this, it's in season, it's this time of year, I guess we're coming off the citrus season. But but fruits to me are, are very sweet now, but it takes time. And I'm not trying to say that that to oversimplify or to say like that I've, you know, I've got something figured out. It's just that you have to I I say that to provide, I guess, some hope that those cravings won't always be there. And that if you just give your if you stay consistent for a period of time, that those cravings will kind of pass. And your your tastes will change a little bit and you'll realize that you don't miss them, you know, as much as you thought you did.
0: You had those wonderful memorable cookies presented to you which not just the cookies themselves but the family connections and all that. Yeah. So were there any times when you really had some kind of a trigger where you just really had a fight to stay away from it?
2: Not not that I remember. I mean, I don't think I don't think I ever really did. And it's just because I didn't give anything up until I was ready to give it up forever. So much of it is about decision. It's kind of like being at the beach. And, you know, when you want to go out into the ocean, in order to get out to the calm water, you have to get through those breaking waves, right? So when you're on the sand, you can relax all you want because there's no no waves crashing on you when you're sitting on the sand. When you are out past the breaking waves, you can just float on your back and you kind of just go up and down and you can relax and you can enjoy it, right? But that period... In between the beach and the sand, at least here in New Jersey, probably because they rake the beaches a lot, it's like there are these crashing waves. And you have to go out there and sometimes you end up running back and forth. And then you go out there and then sometimes, you know, you take a few steps and then you get pushed back towards the beach, you know, as you're trying to get through them, or you have to duck down and go underneath them. It's work to get through that period. But once you go out there, then you're fine. Now, the most challenging thing to do is to go back and forth all the time, right? And that's what we do when we make decisions about lifestyle, about diet and things like that, what we have to learn and teach ourselves is that consistency actually helps and consistency actually makes it easier. So the fact that I decided to not have sweets again, it just took them completely out of the equation, right? And the first one, two, three, four, five times that they were around and available and offered to me, like it was probably hard, but then it got very easy. And as long as I didn't tease myself by going back and having them occasionally, then it stayed easy. It's like being out, you know, it's like being out in the calm, calm ocean waters. I've still never had a slice of birthday cake from my son, Henry, and he's now 15 years old, you know, and we go, we have a fantastic vegan bakery, but it's made with sugar and it's made with oil and I don't eat that kind of stuff. So, so, you know, if he, if he's having a party or if he's having friends over or whatever, and we get a cake and it, and it's vegan, then uh, I still, I mean, the bakery is called vegan treats and I've never once in my life eaten something from there. You know, I bought stuff from there. <laughs> Mm -hmm. but uh but i've never i've never tried it and i and as a result i don't miss it
0: Lori wants to clarify so he's 100 percent abstinent
2: yes on some things (laughs) um so i explained the oil so i wouldn't consider that i'm 100 percent abstinent on oil but i'm 100 percent abstinent on sugars and sweets and sodas and meat and dairy you know and animal products and honey and all of those things are they're all on my no list and i never ever have them and, I, and those are the things that I'll even ask if they're ingredients. So the things that I'm not 100% on would probably be white flour because I'll, you know, I'll occasionally I'll have a flour tortilla if I'm, you know, if I'm, I'm out at a Mexican restaurant or something, or sometimes I'll have pizza, but I'll have pizza with no cheese on it, loaded up with vegetables, but it still is a white flour crust. And then I already mentioned that sometimes oil sneaks in, you know, in restaurant food. So I don't consider myself 100% absent on oil. And then eating out at a restaurant, we can't be 100% abstinent on salt. You know, that that's yeah. just, just finds its way in there. But, you know, do that stuff occasionally. And the restaurants that I go to most often, I invest in them. I mean, not, not financially invest in them, but, but I go and talk to them when they're not busy. And I say, hey, well, you know, I, this is how I eat. I try to avoid all oil. I try to o- avoid added salt. You know, what dish is best for me to order? And how can I order that so that when, when I get it, I get what I want. And then I just go to the same restaurant and order the same thing every time. So now it's very easy because they know exactly what to make for me.
0: And that's the thing, because people talk about eating out. Oh, I only do it once in a while, but once in a while it can turn into two, three, four times a week. Yeah. If it's, if I mean, it's it really that once in a while, you really have to do something like what you you're saying yeah. that you,
2: and I know what I can get at different places, you know, the, the Ruby Tuesday, which I've only been to probably twice or three times in my life, Red Robin. They're known for having bottomless French fries, right? But there's on the back of the menu, they also have bottomless steamed broccoli. Like, Well,
0: I didn't you know. know that. So, <laughs> so
2: you can go there and get a salad and order a broccoli. And as soon as you finish your broccoli, huh. then you can say, hey, can I have some more broccoli? Hey, can I have some more broccoli and a side of black beans? They're not bottomless black beans, but you know. So, yeah. so we do learn these little things that we can do. So now I just have that kind of banked in my mind. And I know if I'm ever stuck on the road. And you do have to ask for no butter because some places will steam broccoli for you.
1: Yeah.
2: And they'll be like, oh, here's steamed broccoli. But then they'll also put butter They're on top shiny. of it. I'm like,
1: I'm like
2: <laughs> you might as well have fried it you know, or, or, or sauteed it or something. But I just say, can I have steamed broccoli with no butter? So you're right. If you're going to be eating out, then it, it's worth doing the investigating, finding the right places, and then also you know, telling them. And then go back to the same place and always order the exact same thing at, the, at certain restaurants so that they know you and they know how to make it for you.
0: I'm sure a lot of people are getting motivated by hearing your story and sound like you have so many great strategies. And as somebody today was just saying, you know what, I might get that Eat to Live book, or I might get some other kind of book, and I want to get started today, what would you put in their toolbox to help them make that decision and stick with it?
2: I would say find one thing and uh, and stick with it. There's so much information available now. I didn't have social media when I started in 2005. It didn't exist, right? I mean, I, I don't even think I could text on my cell phone when I started. So I literally bought one book, I just kept rereading the same book. And I would read the frequently asked questions in the back of the book. And then I would go to to Dr. Furman's website and I would read the success stories there. And that's all I did. And it didn't cause me any confusion. And I never wondered what I should be doing because everything was consistent. What I would say is there are so many fantastic whole food plant-based plans out there. Just find one and give it a real chance. And a real chance might mean six months to a year for someone, but stick with it to the letter for a period of time. And I want everyone to realize that living this lifestyle is not hard. It's actually fun. It's actually enjoyable. And I know that that Amy, you and your husband can vouch for that. So many of your people in your community can vouch for that. But it is really, really hard to change. So that's how you have to think about it. It's going to be hard for a period of time, just like getting out into the ocean. It's only hard for a little while. And the, and the easiest way to reduce the amount of time that it's hard is with consistent. So pick a plan and then just do it. Stick with it consistently for a long enough period of time until it becomes easy.
0: I love it. That's great advice. The other thing that I love is, and we were talking about this before the broadcast, when people do adopt this lifestyle and they do find that it works for them and they find the improved health and the side effect of weight loss and all these wonderful things, they kind of want to shout it out to the world. Yeah. And a lot of people, maybe they just tell their family members a lot and buy books and share them with people. And other people like me just start a broadcast, yeah. and try to interview awesome people like you. And you took it to a little different twist. And you've done a few things that led you up to what you're doing today to help yeah. people with this lifestyle. So why don't you talk about that?
2: Okay, thank you. I have bought books for all kinds of people, for friends and family everywhere. And I've shared that with them. And then I, I share videos and tell people to watch the documentaries and, and you know, Netflix and, and things. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Forks Over Knives and stuff. Um, it's not on Netflix anymore, but, but you can, you can find all these things and share them with people. And then I, what I do is I kind of listen to see if there's any spark. And if people want to know more, then I give them more, but, but I don't, I'm, I'm never forceful um, with it on people, but what I'm super excited about and, and what I'm doing right now is my partner, Dr. Lori Marbus and I, we started a company called Plant-Based Telehealth. The reason we did that is because I would be at conferences and I would be at places and you would hear a doctor, like maybe even Dr. Esselstyn or Dr. Clapper or Dr. Furman, and they would be talking about some of their case studies with their patient and how they helped their patients who had medical conditions and how they helped them to recover using whole food plant-based nutrition. And then almost every single time, someone in the audience raises their hand and they say, hey, you know, I have a similar condition. Where can I find a doctor who can help me? There was no answer to that question. I had been working with uh, Dr. Marbus for a while uh, on other projects, on some more educational projects, you know, some recipes and, and, and things like that that we were sharing. I said, hey, you know, I, I think we need to start a lifestyle telemedicine company where the doctors will practice whole food, plant-based, you know, nutrition or food as medicine. You know, it goes under so many fantastic names. And so we did it. And we started it in 2019, we started working on it. By 2020, we were ready for her to see the first patient. And it took about a year to get it all going. And since then, now we have 10 doctors as of today. We're working on bringing on just a couple more. And they see patients in all 50 states, plus internationally. Uh, Two weeks ago, we just signed on our first patient from Japan. And, And what it means to me is, is that people all over the world are finding you know, out how to prevent and reverse disease and how to improve their quality of life by things that they can control in their own lifestyles. Now, all of the doctors at Plant-Based Telehealth are full medical doctors. The appointments are fully licensed medical visits. If a patient does require medication, they they will be prescribed medication. But the goal is always to help people make the lifestyle changes that they can to improve the conditions as much as they can uh, w- without medications and then just use medications, whether it's for, for temporary basis or for things that will require you know, um, some, uh, some appropriate amount of medication you know, over some period of time. I just loved it. I'm humbled, like I, I'm humbled and grateful every single day just for the opportunity to help to connect people uh, with these doctors who I think are some of the most incredible healers on the planet. And I get to hear some of the stories from the patients that they see. And um, you know we share them in our in our newsletter the testimonials and you know it's it's like you know my story on repeat you know it's just happening every single week you know someone's getting off medications someone's starting to be more active in their life somebody's starting to get healthy and um, even for healthy people people who aren't sick um, they can have they can come and make an appointment with a doctor and the doctors are going to review their blood work and their lifestyle in a way that's focused on, on optimal health and wellness, right? Like right now, most, most of the time when we go to a traditional doctor, the switch for them is, does this person require medication or not? Right. Mm -hmm. And if you don't require medication, they tell you you're in good shape, you know, come back and see me in, in six months or a year. But if your cholesterol is like, let's say 180, 185, something like that, you don't require medication maybe in the traditional guidelines. But the doctor's kind of just waiting. Yeah. You know, they kind of just know that eventually it's going to happen. But if your cholesterol is 175, 180, and you're, at, uh, you know, at, with an appointment with one of the doctors at Plant Based Telehealth, they're going to say, Hey, your cholesterol is not in a dangerous level, but it's a little bit higher than, um, you know, than we, I would like to see it. And did you know that if we can make some diet and lifestyle adjustments and you can get your cholesterol down uh, closer to 150, you might be able to prevent? yourself from ever having a cardiac event or ever having a, you know, heart disease. So, so it's a different kind of, it's a whole different, the appointments are done with a whole different perspective. It's like, what can we do proactively to prevent disease from coming um, in the first place? Or if someone is in a disease state is what can we do to make changes in our lifestyle to, um, to improve that as much as possible. The
0: other thing that I like about the way you have it set up because there are some doctors that you can do telemedicine with, and it's wonderful. And I, they, I'm, I'm any doctor that wants to do plant based telemedicine, I, I agree think it's great. 100%. But with your the way your business model is, is that you don't have to do it like a a membership. Right. So it's
2: it's paid per appointment. Right. So and we try to control that cost as much as possible. We do not accept insurance. The appointments are one hundred and fifty dollars for a thirty minute appointment, and it's three hundred dollars for a sixty minute appointment. Right. And quite honestly, that's as cheap as we could get it with the doctors still earning, you know, a, a fair rate for their knowledge and expertise and, and, their, and their time. So um, that's another thing that's very important to us. We need these doctors to be, to be treated fairly as well. Oh, you know, sure. so, so many of us, and I'm looking at you and I'm looking at myself, are contributing in this field on a volunteer basis. For a physician to provide medical care, it's just not fair to, to do that. So, so we've cut the costs as, as much as we can. Um, it's 150. After the appointment, patients will be given what's called a super bill. And that's a receipt that's ready to go to your insurance company and you can send it in for reimbursement. Now we have no idea how much the insurance company will reimburse because it's different for every plan. We have some patients who get all 150 back. We have some patients who get nothing back, but maybe they have a high deductible or maybe they have no out of network benefits. You know, insurance is so complicated Mm -hmm. that, um, that we can't predict it, but some people would get it back. And unfortunately while Medicare recipients are able to make appointments, um, with most of the doctors, there are three doctors who cannot accept Medicare patients, but Medicare patients are unfortunately not eligible to submit for any kind of reimbursement. So if someone is on Medicare, then they have to um, pay out of pocket the 150 or the 300 for the 30 or 60 minute appointment.
0: I think it's a value because first of all, that you have an extensive intake form. So you're not wasting time asking about history and medications. And you. so the doctor's spent time prior to the appointment getting up to speed on what your medical conditions are if you have any or what your concerns are so that this way they can exactly. get right to it and just concentrate on you and and know and it's great to get a book it's great to watch a video but it is still your health and especially if you're on medications Especially if you're on blood pressure medications or diabetes medications, yeah. you could become dangerously over medicated because that's how great this lifestyle is. And in such a short period of time, you could become right. dangerously over medicated. And not yeah. always- even when I
2: even when I was getting off my blood pressure medications, I went to a regular doctor. Yes. But she wanted me to, she wanted to see me every week and she wanted and she gave me numbers. She said, You need to mm-hmm. check your blood pressure three times a day because mm-hmm. it is very dangerous if you're if you're too much like You know what's the good in getting healthy if i'm going to faint and fall down and bang my head and seriously injure myself
0: and not all the traditional doctors conventional doctors are well versed in titrating people down or eliminating medications so it's nice the the doctors that you have there that's their goal is to possibly titrate down or eliminate so they're very familiar with how to walk with someone and help them do that. And perhaps somebody's physician that they see locally may not be on board with that because they're not aware of the effectiveness of this, or they just don't have the, the time to commit to holding someone's hand and walking them through it.
1: Right.
2: Well, this, you know, the traditional system isn't set up so that they have that much time to do that. Exactly. So it, it's, it's just hard. That's why we kind of came outside of the traditional system in order to do this. You know, we're helping patients and doctors meet each other is what we're is what we're really doing at Plant telehealth, it's even hard for doctors who start up a a small practice to practice this kind of medicine, because Mm -hmm. then they're limited by the people that they can reach, you know, so I think telemedicine is really, really making this much more accessible. And that's our tagline is we want lifestyle medicine uh, available to everyone. That's what we're working towards with plant-based telehealth.
0: Well, I'm glad you guys are around. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing Almost all the doctors. There's no, the new fantastic. one that you are onboarded that I'm hoping to get on someday soon. And yeah, make well, I'll part make of my an collection. introduction. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I really wanted to thank you, Anthony, for coming on today. You've been just so full of great information and tips. And you've also just been such a great inspiration to everybody that has been watching. And we've been getting a lot of compliments to you. Well, and, thank you. and people are really enjoying this. And I know on the replay and the podcast, there'll be other people watching as well and you guys that are watching or listening type in the comments what what are you going to remember from this broadcast what's yeah your i would takeaway? love to hear that
2: yeah yeah thank i you. would
0: like to hear it because i think it helps other people as well who are looking to see if they want to watch this what people have been saying i also wanted to thank just has voice and she did the countdown and she also did the promos and just has voice Tell us who is coming up next.
1: Timmery Hagenberger, RDN, aka The Nutrition Professor, will be doing a culinary demo of plant-based scrambled breakfast tacos. Join us on Wednesday, March 23rd, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. On Be Green with Amy Live.
0: Well, I hope you guys will join us for that because she's a great cook. And I wanted to thank you all again, especially the audience. I want to thank all of you that are watching and listening. You guys are the reason why I'm here and the reason why Anthony is here to tell his story. And we hope that you share this and like it so that other people can hear about it as well. What I'm going to do and invite all of you to do the same, I'm going to be signing off with Anthony with my tagline, Be Strong, Be Well, and Be Green. And you guys can type it in the comments and we can just kind of mm-hmm. do it with the universe. Are you ready, Anthony? Yep, I'm ready. Okay. Until I see you guys again, remember, be strong, be well, and be green. green. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Bye-bye, Thank you. everyone. This is so much fun.
1: Thanks. Thank you, Anthony. Bye-bye. Now you can listen to Be Green with Amy expert interviews wherever you go. Listen while walking, meal prepping, or traveling. Find Be Green with Amy on Apple, Google, Alexa, Amazon, or virtually anywhere you find podcasts. Be strong, be well, and be green with Be Green with Amy.